0: welcome back thank you guys for coming i'm just getting back into the reading of this new jehovah's witness publication it's called pure worship of jehovah and we are on chapter two it's going to be a really interesting read i'm hoping so let's just jump into it uh so At the beginning, it it says here the focus of this chapter. I've noticed at the beginning of each chapter, they've had a focus. I mentioned that in the last one, I think. It says, a history of Jehovah's arrangement for pure worship. So that's the focus of this chapter, a history of Jehovah's arrangement for pure worship. And the chapter's name is God Approved Their Gifts. Hebrews 11.4, apparently that's a quote. Okay, so here's paragraph one. Abel carefully inspects his flock. He has lovingly raised these animals from birth. Now he selects some, slaughters them, and presents them as a gift to God. Will this act of worship offered by an imperfect human be acceptable to Jehovah? So yeah, now they're getting into parts of the Bible where they talk about animal sacrifice and things like that. Uh, I find it really interesting when they talk about animal sacrifice because it seems semi-intuitive to us, right? Man is imperfect. We have to give a sacrifice to make up for our imperfection. And Jesus comes along and gives us that final sacrifice. So now there's no longer a need to sacrifice animals. I just, like, it, it seems semi-intuitive at face value. But when you really think about it, when you apply it to a completely different situation, it's not intuitive at all. It does not make any sense. So, anyway, let's just continue on here. Paragraph 2. The Apostle Paul was inspired to write regarding Abel. God approved his gifts. Jehovah, however, rejected Cain's offering. Okay, interesting. This raises questions that we need to consider. Why did God accept worship from Abel, but not from Cain? What can we learn from the examples of Cain and Abel, and from others mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11? The answers will deepen our understanding of what is involved in pure worship. Okay, so I didn't realize that Hebrews 11 talked about Cain and Abel. I did, however, know that Hebrews 1, I think, I I believe it's Hebrews 1, describes Jesus in great detail. Okay, so here's paragraph 3. As we discuss this brief overview of events from the time of Abel to Ezekiel's day, note four key elements that In combination make worship acceptable to God. The recipient must be Jehovah. The quality must be the best. The manner has to be approved by God, and the motive of the worshiper needs to be pure." This is bizarre. So now they're talking about how to sacrifice animals. must be the best animal, it must be to Jehovah, it must be in a manner approved by God, and the motive of the worshiper needs to be pure. Okay, I'm not sure what the manner is i'm assuming they'll get to that though okay so this is uh the first subheading why was cain's worship rejected so this is paragraph four read genesis four two through five not going to read that cain knew that the recipient of his gift would be jehovah cain had plenty of time and opportunity to learn about jehovah he and his brother abel may have been close to 100 years old at the time that they offered their gifts Both boys had grown up knowing of the garden in Eden, maybe even seeing that fertile park from a distance. Certainly, they would have seen the cherubs blocking entrance to it. The boy's parents no doubt told them that Jehovah created all life and that his original purpose for mankind was different from what they were now experiencing, a slow decline into death. Knowing these things may have led Cain to conclude that he should offer his gift to God. Okay. That's interesting. So let's just take a quick glance at Genesis 3.24, actually, because they, they actually quoted in there, Genesis 3.24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, or cherubim, I guess, cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. I remember Jehovah's Witnesses' depiction of the angels or the cherubs, or I don't even know what the difference is, in the Garden of Eden. It was in the uh, Bible story book, the yellow one from, like, 1978 or something, the one I grew up with. It was really vivid, really interesting. Anyway, okay, so uh, this is paragraph five. What else may have prompted Cain to offer his sacrifice? Jehovah had foretold that an offspring, quote-unquote, would arise, someone who would crush the head of the serpent that seduced Eve into making her terrible choice. Cain, as firstborn, may have thought that he was promised offspring. In addition, Jehovah had not cut off all communication with sinful humans. Even after Adam sinned, God spoke to him, evidently by means of an angel. And Jehovah talked with Cain after he offered his sacrifice. Without doubt, Cain knew that Jehovah is worthy of worship. Yeah, this is another thing I find interesting about Jehovah's Witnesses, is the fact that they keep calling the serpent who deceived Eve, Satan, when it doesn't say it was Satan at all. It just says it was a serpent. (laughs) It's just fascinating to me how they, you know, how they justify their beliefs and how they kind of work it to make it say what they want it to say. Anyway, all right, so that was paragraph 5. This is 6. Why then did Jehovah not look with any favor on Cain's offering? Was there something wrong with the quality of the gift? That quality is in italics here. So a, a minute ago in the paragraphs, they put some words in italics. They put recipient manner quality and motive in italics to emphasize which words they they were going to uh to discuss in a minute so now we're discussing quality i believe yeah okay it says was there something wrong with the quality of the gift the bible does not say it simply says that cain brought fruits of the land. Jehovah later indicated in the law that he gave to Moses that this type of sacrifice was acceptable. So apparently he's saying fruit is acceptable as opposed to a burned animal sacrifice. Also consider the circumstances. At this point in history, humans ate only vegetation. And because the ground outside of Eden was cursed by God, Cain had toiled to produce his offering. He offered hard-won, life-sustaining food. Even so, Jehovah did not approve of Cain's offering. I'm still blown away by the fact that they're taking this whole story seriously. I, I just can't possibly bring myself to believe it to be an actual, real, literal event. And that's how they're representing it here. That's how they represent it in the Kingdom Hall. They believe it to be a real, literal event, and it just kills me. Okay, so that was paragraph six, this is seven. Was there then something wrong with the manner, italics, in which the gift was made? Did Cain fail to offer it in an acceptable way? That seems unlikely. Why so? Because when Jehovah rejected Cain's offering, he did not condemn the manner in which the offering was made. In fact, there's no mention of how either Cain or Abel made their offering. What then was the problem? Okay, so they highlighted these four words, like I said a second ago. It was recipient, quality, manner, and motive. I'm wondering where they got those four words. Why did they highlight those four words specifically? It, is it from a Bible verse? Because there's no verse quoted in that entire paragraph to describe Uh, those words, to reference those words in the Bible. Okay, so we're on paragraph eight now. It says, Paul's inspired words to the Hebrews show that Cain's motive for making the offering was not pure. Motive is in italics again. Cain lacked faith. That's why Jehovah did not look with any favor on Cain, the man himself, not just his offering. Jehovah is a loving father. Ugh, God, this is making me cringe, something fierce. Jehovah is a loving father. Oh, why did I say it again? So he kindly tried to correct his son, but Cain, in effect, slapped away Jehovah's helping hand. Cain's figurative heart festered with works of the imperfect flesh, hostility, strife, jealousy. Cain's bad heart made any other positive aspects of his worship worthless. His example teaches us that pure worship requires more than just an outward display of devotion to Jehovah. Okay, so this is basically saying that Cain was a bad person and that is why Jehovah didn't accept his sacrifice. However, as far as I know, Cain actually was loyal or whatever. He just committed murder. That was like the first sin or whatever, right? It seems strange to me. I mean, the guy's heart seems to be pure. He's just tainted with imperfection. Can God really blame him for that? Ultimately, I would place the blame on God's shoulders. He knew what was going to happen if he's omnipotent, as they claim, right? He knew that they were going to sin. He knew they were going to eat that fruit. He knew the serpent was going to deceive Eve and all that junk, and he let it happen. He created them knowing that was going to happen, and he let it. Uh, How can he possibly blame this guy for this outcome? It just blows my mind. Okay, so that was chapter—I'm sorry, that was paragraph 8, I believe. Yeah, that was paragraph 8. Okay, so this is paragraph 9. The Bible record tells us much about Cain. record. Notice how they call it the Bible record. The Bible record tells us much about Cain. We hear Jehovah speak to him, we read Cain's answers, and we even learn the names of his children and about some of the things they did. As for Abel, we have no record of his having children, and nothing he said is preserved in the Bible. Even so, Abel's actions still speak to us today. In what way? So as far as I know, according to this little Bible story, Cain murdered Abel before He had children. That's why they're pointing that out. So we're all offspring of Cain's children, and we're all bad as a result. Or something. I don't even know. So that was the end of that subheading. This next one is called uh, Abel Sets the Pattern for Pure Worship. I guess it was before he died. Okay, paragraph 10. Abel made his offering to Jehovah knowing that he is the only worthy recipient. There's that word again, recipient. They have it in italics. The quality, italics, of the gift was the best. Abel selected some firstlings of his flock. Although the record does not... The record, again, they're talking about the record. As though it's solid proof of this event taking place. The record does not state whether he sacrificed them on an altar or not. The manner, italics, in which he offered his gift was obviously acceptable. But what stands out about Abel's gift? The example that still instructs us after some six millenniums, isn't it millennia? That's weird. They said millenniums. Okay. Is his motive, italics, forgiving it? Abel was stirred by faith in God and by a love of Jehovah's righteous standards. How do we know? Uh, we don't. We don't know. In fact, we don't know that any of this is true. This is... For all we know, this could be completely made up and it's just killing me that they're taking this at face value right now. Okay, so this is paragraph 11. You know, I'm wondering how many paragraphs there are in this uh, in this chapter. Let me just take a quick glance through here because I feel like I'm setting a faster pace than I did last night. Okay, so there are 30 paragraphs in this in this chapter. Okay, so we were on 11. Let's get back to 11 uh let's see oh there's more of that artwork i'm looking at here man i wish you guys could see this really beautiful artwork honestly it's really nice artwork okay and, and this one isn't violent too so it, it won't give children nightmares this specific picture won't there are some of those in here though okay chapter 11 i'm sorry uh, paragraph 11. first consider what jesus said about abel a man he knew well jesus was alive in heaven when abel walked the earth jesus was keenly interested in his son of adam in this son of adam i'm sorry so jesus was providing eyewitness testimony when he described abel as a righteous man okay now it's it's about to get interesting a righteous person is someone who acknowledges that jehovah should set the standard of right and wrong but he does more he proves by his speech and actions that he agrees with those standards it takes time to gain a reputation as someone who's righteous. So even before offering his gift to God, Abel must have built up a record of living according to Jehovah's standards. That would have been a difficult path to walk. His older brother was unlikely to have been a positive influence. Cain's heart had become wicked. Abel's mother had disobeyed a direct command from God, and his father had rebelled against Jehovah, wanting to decide for himself, what is good and what is bad. What courage Abel showed to choose a course so different from the one his family pursued." So, I was—I uh, said it's about to get interesting because I want to point out that Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe that Michael the Archangel is Jesus. And that is not a standard belief among most of Christianity. That's actually, that's a pretty big deviation from traditional Christianity. And I was talking about Hebrews 1 a minute ago because Hebrews 1 goes into great detail about Jesus, talks all about him, and it pretty much debunks the idea that Jesus is Michael the archangel. But Jehovah's Witnesses take like one or two little verses out of different books in the Bible and cram them together like they love to do and go with it that that is kind of what happened here and that's how they arrive at the whole Michael the Archangel as mentioned in the Bible is Jesus anyways Michael the Archangels had a few key roles and a few things and Jehovah's witnesses pretty much believe that that that's Jesus so kind of an odd little belief okay where were we let's see i think we were on paragraph 12 okay next note how the apostle paul linked the qualities of faith and righteousness by faith wrote Paul, Abel offered God a sacrifice of greater worth than that of Cain, and through that faith he received the witness that he was righteous. Paul's words indicate that unlike Cain, Abel was motivated by lifelong, heartfelt faith in Jehovah and his way and in his way of doing things. You know one problem I have with um, with reading Jehovah's witness literature is I remember sitting there in the Kingdom Hall when I was little listening to somebody read this stuff. And I swear I struggled to just focus my mind on this because sometimes it is so freaking boring. My mind just cuts out. It's like I just go into la-la land. I'm not even paying attention to what my eyes are reading anymore. So, <laughs> so it's something I struggle with every day. Every day that I read Jehovah's Witness literature anyways. Um, I can pretty much read anything else, and it's not a problem. Okay, so that was paragraph 12. This is 13. Abel's example teaches us that pure worship can come only from a heart that has pure motives, a heart full of faith in Jehovah and in complete agreement with his righteous standards. In addition, we learn that pure worship requires more than a single act of devotion. It involves our whole life, our entire course of conduct. Okay, so here they're kind of saying that they want Jehovah's Witnesses to pour everything into this religion. Every part of their being has to be devoted to this. It says, We learn that pure worship requires more than a single act of devotion. It involves our whole life, our entire course of conduct. That's their excuse for forcing Jehovah's Witnesses to conform every part of their life to the religion. They control every aspect of your life in this. Okay, so that was 13. This is a new subheading. says, The patriarchs follow the pattern. Okay, paragraph 14. Abel was the first and perfect man to offer Jehovah pure worship, but he was by no means the last. The Apostle Paul mentions others who worshipped Jehovah acceptably, such as, uh, I'm sorry, such men as Noah, Abraham, and Jacob. Read Hebrews 11:7 7, and 8. At some point in their lives, each of these patriarchs offered Jehovah a sacrifice, and God approved their gifts. Why? Because these men did more than perform formal acts of devotion. Each of them also fulfilled all the key requirements of pure worship. Consider their examples. They're still saying Jehovah, and I am still cringing. Ugh. Okay, so paragraph 15, it, I'm just kind of glancing through the book here. It looks like they cite a few different people. Um, 15 is about Noah, 17 is about Abraham, and then 19 is about Jacob. Okay, so paragraph 15. Noah was born just 126 years after Adam died, yet he grew up in a world perverted by false worship. That's really interesting to me. So 126 years after Adam died? How could there have possibly been enough people to have perverted the worlds, like they're saying. Okay, let's just continue on. Of all the families alive on earth just prior to the flood, only Noah and his family served Jehovah acceptably. After surviving the flood, Noah felt moved to construct an altar the first specifically mentioned in the Bible, and to offer sacrifices to Jehovah. By this heartfelt act, Noah sent a clear message to his family and to the rest of the human race that would descend from him. Jehovah, God, I'm still cringing, man. I swear I'm going to become numb to this name by the end of this book, I hope. And it's not even going to sound like a real word anymore. We'll, We'll see how it plays out. Anyway, by his heartfelt act, Noah sent a clear message to his family and to the rest of the human race that would descend from him. Jehovah is the only worthy recipient, italics, of worship. Of all the animals available to him for sacrifice, Noah chose some of all the clean animals and of all the clean flying creatures. These were the best quality, italics, offerings, because Jehovah himself had declared them clean. Okay, so that was paragraph 15. This is 16. Noah offered these burnt, uh, I'm sorry, Noah offered these burnt sacrifices on the altar he built. Was this manner, italics, of worship acceptable? Yes, the account says that Jehovah found the aroma from the offering pleasing and then blessed Noah and his sons. That's creepy. He likes the smell of dead, burning flesh. That's extremely scary. Um, I don't think I enjoy that smell very much myself. Luckily, I've never smelled it. Hope I don't ever have to. I imagine I won't like it if I do. However, Jehovah accepted the offering primarily because of Noah's motive italics, forgiving it. The sacrifices were one more expression of Noah's strong faith in Jehovah and in his way of doing things. Because Noah so consistently obeyed Jehovah and upheld his standards, the Bible says that he, quote-unquote, walked with the true God. As a result, Noah gained a lasting reputation as a righteous man. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of creepy, man. He he enjoys the aroma of dead, burned flesh. That's really scary stuff. Okay, so that was 16. This is 17. We're starting with Abraham now. Abraham was surrounded by false worship. The city of Ur, you are, Abraham's home, was dominated by a temple honoring the moon god Nana. Even Abraham's own father at one time worshipped false gods. Yet, Abraham chose to worship Jehovah. He likely learned about the true God from his ancestor Shem, one of Noah's sons. Their lives overlapped by 150 years. The moon god Nana. Interesting. Okay, so this is paragraph 18. Throughout his long life, Abraham offered many sacr I'm sorry, Abraham offered many sacrifices, but these formal acts of worship were always directed to the only worthy recipient, italics again, Jehovah. Was Abraham prepared to give Jehovah the best quality italics offering? That question was answered beyond doubt when Abraham showed his willingness to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac. Okay. Yeah, so the dude was told, a voice in his head told him to sacrifice his son. Are we not going to talk about that? That's freaking crazy. What is going on here? And they're lauding this guy as a hero, that he was willing to murder his child because a voice in his head told him to. What am I reading right now? Okay. On that occasion, Jehovah spelled out exactly the manner, italics again, in which Abraham should make the sacrifice of his son. This is freaking nuts. And Abraham was willing to follow that direction down to the last detail. It was Jehovah who stopped Abraham from actually killing his son. Actually, as far as I can remember, this could be incorrect. I think the Bible verse says an angel stopped it, not Jehovah specifically. Ugh, God, that name. Not God specifically. Jehovah accepted Abraham's acts of worship because they were offered by a man whose motives, italics, were pure. Abraham put faith in Jehovah, wrote Paul, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Whew, this is going to be a rough book to get through if they keep saying that name. Okay, paragraph 19. Now it starts in on Jacob, which is, I believe, Isaac's son. Jacob spent much of his life in Canaan, the land Jehovah had promised to Abraham and his descendants. It was a place where people had become engrossed in worship so perverted that Jehovah said that the land would vomit its inhabitants out. When he was 77 years old, Jacob left Canaan, married, and later returned with a large household. Some of his family, however, had been influenced by false worship. Even so, When Jehovah invited Jacob to go to Bethel and build an altar, Jacob acted decisively. He first told his family, get rid of the foreign gods that are in your midst and cleanse yourselves. He then faithfully followed the instructions he had received. Okay, that's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, Now it's just kind of telling the history that the Bible outlines uh, about Jacob, and they're taking it as literal history. That was cha- uh I'm sorry. That was paragraph nineteen. I'll stop mixing those up soon. This is. Ch- uh, oh my God! I'm doing it again. This is paragraph twenty. Jacob built a number of altars in the promised land, but the recipient, there's the italics again, of his worship was always Jehovah. The quality, italics, of his sacrifices, the manner, italics, in which he worshipped God, and his motive italics again, for doing so, were such that the Bible refers to Jacob as blameless, an expression that describes those who are approved by God. By his entire life course, Jacob set an outstanding example for the nation of Israel, which would descend from him. Okay, so that there you go. The nation of Israel descends from Jacob. He has 12 sons, as far as I know. He has 12 sons, and each son becomes a tribe of its own so the tribe of levi the tribe of this or that okay so this is paragraph 21 what can we learn about pure worship from the example set by the patriarchs like them we're surrounded by people uh, maybe even family members who could distract us from giving jehovah exclusive devotion you hear you you guys listening to this to resist such pressure We must develop strong faith in Jehovah and be convinced that his righteous standards are best. We express that faith by obeying Jehovah and by devoting our time, energy, and resources to serving him. How encouraging it is to know that when we worship Jehovah to the best of our ability, in the way he asks, and with pure motives, he views us as righteous. So this is them pushing that whole shunning thing again. This is them pushing that whole, I mean, it says right here, um, let's see. Like them, we're surrounded by people, maybe even family members, maybe even family members, who could distract us from giving Jehovah exclusive devotion. That means if your family members are distracting you from being Jehovah's Witness in any way, ditch them, get rid of them. Jehovah's Witnesses are more important than family. They want to break down that family bond as best they can, and they're driving that home right here in paragraph uh, 21. That's pretty messed up, man. That's really sad stuff. We only have, like, two pages to go, but yeah, it's okay. I'll just wait. Okay, well, that's our 30. I appreciate you guys coming and giving it a listen, and I will see you guys next week.